We're in the middle of a series of articles on food here at Longleaf Breeze, so we thought it would be a great opportunity for us to talk about some of the things we're thinking about related to food and food security today. Welcome to Longleaf Breeze. Beginners learning subsistence farming using three simple principles, approaching but never reaching subsistence. It's got to be fun while we're doing it. And we don't make allness statements. And now, Lee and Amanda Borden. Thanks, Adrian, And welcome to our podcast of July 20th, 2011. Yes, I think uh, we want to piggyback on what you just said in your opening remark, Lee, that we've been thinking about... Uh, uh, admittedly, our own food production, primarily. Yeah, this is not about how the the culture or society should prepare for food. That's an entirely valid subject, but we're not attempting to address that right. in these articles. Yeah, the articles that you're writing this week address various facets of how we're going to sustain ourselves as much as we can by food that we produce here at the farm, right? Right, yeah. and when I write those articles, you are hearing from Lee you are not hearing from Amanda, and until I am uh -oh. able to threaten or cajole or entice my bride to write on Longleaf Breeze, this is your only chance to hear it straight from Amanda. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to try to do better with that in the future, but uh, I do want to talk about food because, quite frankly, it's top of mind because we're in the middle of harvest season here at the, uh, at the farm, and... Um, I every day I come in and I bring baskets full of vegetables from that we've that are getting ripe out there. And, and they're all over the countertop, they're all over the window ledges, they're in baskets piled up here, there and everywhere. We're filling up the freezer. It, this is a wonderful time of year for food. It is. And I give a lot of it away. Every day we're giving food away to somebody. Yeah. So it's we've had a good year, and I mean there are a couple of crops, and I'll probably talk about that in a few minutes that I'm a little concerned about. Um, but I'm also learning a lot about which varieties do best out there, what I plan to do next year, what I plan to plan to plant more of edamame, what I'm going to plant less of cucumbers, <laughs> <laughs> and um, so we can we can talk about that. Um, I guess it fits in this whole idea of the sustainability of uh, growing food fits in very well with our three principles, which are, you want to go through them? Well, we're approaching, but we'll never reach subsistence. And that's probably the one that we need to focus on today dealing with food in the sense that you and I acknowledge we will never produce here on the farm every bit of food we need. There right. will always be things that we need to purchase off the farm uh, things like coffee, tea, spices. Um, mm -hmm. A nice Chardonnay. <laughs> well, that's right. Finer wines. We hope that one day we will be able to produce a rudimentary wine here. But, not but if from... you want a fine table wine that, yeah. that we're used to drinking, like a nice Merlot or a Cab or a Pinot Noir, uh, we're not going to produce a wine of that quality here. And it might be worth mentioning to the uninitiated that um, in this, they, you know, a lot of you will know this and think, well, why are you even saying that? But some people might not. We actually attended a grape workshop at, at the Botanical Gardens about two years ago, 
because I thought, well, maybe we can just grow Chardonnay grapes or Merlot grapes are the right thing here. Um, no, this climate will never support the kinds of grapes that are needed to make certain kinds of wines. I tend to like a drier wine, and so many of the wines that can be made here in central Alabama are pretty sweet. Right. So, you know, it's it's that's why I'm joking and saying, well, I'll always have to have something from off the farm because I don't, that's not going to be my wine of choice. But in continuing that conversation about the three principles, we although we acknowledge we will always need to buy some food items off the farm, what you and I are working to do is minimize that. Absolutely, absolutely. And I'd like to now comment on the second principle, which is not to make all misstatements. That's the third. Uh, all right. It's got to be fun while we're doing it. Well, I was actually saving that one for last. Oh, okay. <laughs> so that I could talk about um, a few things that are not fun. <laughs> but the, the, the third one that I'm putting up in the order has to do with, you know, when we say all in the statements, also making never statements like, I'll never plant that again. Well, I made one last week. And then I realized, oh, maybe that's a mistake. Uh, what, I'm pulling out an example here, but we've got watermelons growing out on Veg Hill. One type that I planted was from some transplants I bought at the store called uh, Charleston Gray. Just bought them because that was the only thing I could find at the time, and I was desperate to get some additional watermelons out there after some of mine didn't germinate. The The crazy fruit is it, they're almost all developing blossom and rot, which I haven't had that problem with watermelon in the past. And the other varieties are not doing that. So I said, I'll never plant any more Charleston Gray. Well, that was a bit hasty of me. I'm unlikely to, given that I've had this experience. But so, you know, I'm trying not to violate my principles of, man, I'll never do that. Or I'll always or, I, you know, want to always use this variety. Climate change, um, a change in our schedule, learning about a new variety, um, continuing our education about it. All of these can change our plans. So um, I think that principle bears repeating to me daily. And I agree. <laughs> we reserve the right to do things differently in the future from what we are doing now and from what we say we will always do. Exactly. Just, yeah. Uh, we don't know what may change in the future. I thought you were about to back off your diatribe about ryegrass. Because uh, we've been talking about using ryegrass as a cover crop That lately. is actually an almost honest statement that I'm probably still making, which is I never want to plant any more ryegrass on Veg Hill. Um, just because I think there are alternatives and I struggled with it last year. It was very difficult to get rid of. It was the little seed was in places I didn't want grass and um, digging through it. I just about developed an arthritic hand. I mean, I'm exaggerating, but so I and just don't want to go there. you came to me and talked to me about what a lovely, lovely job the folks at Rodale were doing with their with planting into cover crops. And when I told you, okay, that means that you're really talking about ryegrass, I saw this blanched look on your face when you realized, oh, no, is that what I'm asking about? You know, without getting sidetracked on this too much, I'll tell you what I read in the Organic Gardening magazine um, which is the Rodale publication. Which is their publication and the most recent issue. And they talked about using cereal rye as a cover crop, and then it could be uh, distributed around as mulch when you get ready to plant your target crop. 
and it looked beautiful and they talked about all the advantages and what you told me is in central Alabama we can't grow cereal rye very as a cover crop Correct. but you can grow it we um, would be growing rye grass instead of cereal which, rye and then i did get that look on my face that <laughs> yes i'm sure i did i because i really just know how much i struggled with it so you know that may be an all misstatement but i'll try to avoid them yeah well what about the third principle well the the third principle which is, is really, got to be fun while we're doing it and, and pretty much everything is except weeding and killing squash bugs by hand, and killing squash vine borers by hand, um, and squishing stink bugs, and killing, uh, you know, those horrible tomato hornworms when you see them. Those are not fun. Eh. It's kind of fun to see a, a pest like that writhe in agony, so that doesn't <laughs> bother me a whole lot. But, it, you know... Um, those are just things you have to do. They are things you have them. to do. That's right. And so I think when we say it's got to be fun while you're doing it, we look at the overall picture, not individual Yeah, activities. some things aren't yeah. absolutely scintillatingly pleasant. Yeah, but, that's right. That's uh, we right. can handle them. Well, let's talk a little bit about that series. We started with the idea that we would divide our food strategy up into food groups or categories of food. So we talked about breads and grains and then vegetables and then fruits today and I guess tomorrow we'll go to uh, dairy we'll talk about yogurt cheese milk yeah, that yeah. sort of thing and then we'll talk about meats and um, on, on the, the following day and then we'll finish talking about fats and sweets okay um, where obviously Nobody wants to build a diet around those things, but they're important to us, so we, we have a, yeah. a conversation about those as well. So I'm having fun with it, and uh, although I'm not um, getting your input on a daily basis to write it, you hear each one, you read yes. each one, so you know what I'm saying and mm -hmm. so forth. Yes, and you do give me sort of a right to uh, to edit and I do. give you some ideas. Yeah, yeah you've, changing you've something made a couple there. of changes to things. Yeah. So, well, tell us a little bit about what you're seeing on Veg okay. Hill these days. Yeah, I think um, really good tomato production now. A few weeks ago, you might remember that we had green tomatoes sitting on the plants not doing anything because we had that horrible drought and heat wave in June. But now that we've had some rain, I mean, every day I go out and I harvest some tomatoes. And um, I, I've told you this, and I'm sure in my plans for next year I'll incorporate this, the tomatoes that are doing the very best out there are Cherokee purples that I started from seed and transplanted to, to the garden. Um, and we're getting good production yeah. from them now. And then t uh, also Valencia tomatoes. And that was a bit of a surprise. They're a small but very sweet tomato. And those, we, we've been freezing some tomatoes those to preserve Valencias them. Those Valencias are so tasty. They do. And they don't seem to be as disease prone or prone to like weird taking on weird shapes or anything. So and those are freezing well. if you will allow me to go back, I, I need to make a public apology to Cherokee Purples. I think I probably had a lot of scorn for them early on because last year, if you recall, we got almost nothing exactly. from, for all of our effort with Cherokee Purple mm -hmm. Tomatoes. This year, Cherokee Purples are producing well. They taste wonderful. They really are so good. And... It's working out very well, so I take back all those terrible things I said about you. Thank you, Cherokee Cher Purple. They, they forgive you. 
Uh, they really, it is a beautiful heirloom variety. I highly recommend them. But I bought some Cherokee purples from the store in a cell pack just to see. Those plants didn't do nearly so well as the ones that I planted. Oh, I hadn't so, noticed that. Yeah, All right. I mean, th that I started. So um, I'll do that. But the other plant, the other tomatoes that are doing well are Better Boys. I have one plant from the store, Better Boy. Highly recommend it. I'm sure it's not open pollinated or anything like that, but it's a good producer. Is that the tallest one? Mm -hmm. Yeah. That first one that I see when I walk in. it's got a lot of okay. Yeah, tomatoes. it's doing great. And it was the earliest one to, to give us tomatoes, too. Yeah, so I'll be an, an advocate for Better yeah. Boy next year. And also, I bought some transplants of Sweet 100s that you couldn't ask for better. Uh, I mean, they're, they're doing great. Yeah. So and you had some sweet millions that did not work out as They're not quite well. as good. They're smaller. The, and, and we have continued to have problems when it's really hot of splitting tomatoes. Yeah, we have. So, and I think we've talked about that, that we just may learn to incorporate shade cloth. Well, let's move on to some other uh, vegetables. What I'm, my new news for this year, I'm really excited about this, for this week rather, not this year. Uh, well, it actually d did a lot better than last year too. I have rattlesnake beans galore. They're just beginning to come in, and when they all do, Katie, Katie barred bar the door. The door. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, and in contrast to last year, when I had like a few plants, and I tried to do some three sisters that didn't pan out, we just had a handful of beans. This year, you've already made it clear, I planted this whole row of beans, and that does sound a bit crazy, but we will have enough beans that I can, when I pick them, we'll have a meal, you know, enough for a meal. So it's it's gratifying. Yes, it is. There is one lima bean plant out there that is still um, a mystery to me. It was the earliest plant of all the beans to germinate. It got vigorous. It has no, hardly any, it hardly has any blossoms, certainly has no lima beans. And it's just, you, you were the one who said it looked like something out of Little Shop of Horrors. That big well, plant the, that that's whole row over. I was saying about that about. But that's um, the largest, most sprawling plant. It is the one plant. on the top of the row. You're right about that. I, I, I wonder if it is relevant that that lima bean was a volunteer, a holdover no, from last year. those were not volunteers. We're talking about two different ones. Oh, okay. The one I'm talking about, I planted, when I planted the whole row of beans, those came up the, the earliest. They, you know, got vigorous, but... Haven't produced much. So we'll see. Maybe they're a late season. Yeah. I don't know. Um, then I've got lots peas lots coming peas. in. Yeah. I harvested some Mississippi silver black-eyed peas yesterday, shelled them, cooked up a you know a big mess, a of, them big mess of them for supper. They were really good. Um, and then I have some um, California black-eye number five, which proved to be very successful last year. And they are just now beginning to ripen. They're, none of them are really ready to harvest yet. Um, and also we have... Um, some purple hull peas that are a bit behind. I planted them in the bed where I had had the English peas, the, the early spring peas. So they're behind there. But, you know, you can plant them a little bit later and we'll have a little mm -hmm. bit staggered harvest that way. Peppers are doing great. Anaheim is probably one of my best, most vigorous peppers. Um, some banana peppers, plants that I bought at the Auburn plant sale, and then some bell peppers that and again, the ones I started from seed, even though they were slow and they look and they were sort of um, scrawny for a while, but they've come on, and I'm actually getting my best bell peppers from 
the ones we started from seed. Okay, Better than a couple of plants that were given, one was given to me and one was purchased. Just in general, we just get a whole lot more usable food from banana peppers than we do from bell peppers. And they're more or less interchangeable. Yeah, they wise. are. And they're prolific. So I'll definitely continue to do uh, banana peppers. Uh, eggplant's doing great. We have squash and zucchini. Um, I still see squash bug eggs and squash bugs out there. I have to kill them. But so far, the, the the larger the plants are getting, the more they can resist. Yeah, the, the only problems. problem with zucchini is they tend to break the countertop when you put them down. <laughs> we, you obviously these got out of control, but we brought in a couple of zucchini yesterday that just, or maybe the day before. The day before, yeah, just honkers, you know, and and these that's, are rascals that are about a foot long and about as big around as your ankle. Oh just, well, yes, I, that one did get out of hand. I try to. I think that was left over from when we went out of town. But anyway, uh, those are doing well. We have um, okra. I think we've mentioned the problem of the uh, the large okra plants that I started from seed that are um, not producing a lot of fruit. But I was out there yesterday and I saw a lot of new blossoms on those plants. So I am optimistic that we will good. have good well, okra I will production. cling to your optimism. I'm not sure I share it yet, but I am glad to hear you're optimistic. Yeah. Uh, s- still overwhelmed with cucumbers. They're doing great. Getting some cantaloupe, some watermelon, um, a little bit of edamame. As I said, I'll plant more of that next year. Corn. The corn is still not mature, but there's some tasseling going on. And you have so, to confess that we'll our corn was late getting in the ground. It was. So we, well, yes. we expect that ours will be later than most other people's corn. Yeah, we'll just have to see how well it does. Well, tell us what we will be planting soon Ooh, well, in the garden. I have a couple of uh, transplants left from my earlier uh, spring that, that were sort of behind. They're just smaller, and I'm, it's tomatoes and peppers, and I'm going to put those out in the garden as a July planting for a fall garden. Um, and then we'll be starting seed for our Brussels sprouts and our cabbage and our um, collards. Oh, I'll probably just put the collards right in the ground. Okay. We'll see, I haven't decided about and that. And cauliflower? We want to try some cauliflower this year. And, of course, uh, garlic. When the garlic comes this fall, we'll be ready to plant that. That's another crop that's done very well for us um, this year. And we can probably do a whole podcast on that sometime. Yeah, we've got a big old bunch of garlic, what do you call them, buds, I guess, hanging in the shop. Drying and, out. Yeah, yes. and I guess they're more or less fully dried yeah, now. Yeah, probably so. Uh, well, we're just about out of time, and I'd love to talk more about what we're doing in the orchard. And, and But what and we can do next is... week, we can focus on this idea of what we do to get over the winter. That's, that's something we had planned to address today, and we didn't get to it, but we need to. Because we are beginning to put foods up and preserve them. So, yes, it's something we definitely need to address. Yeah. So thank you for being with us, and we will see you next week. You've been listening to Long Leaf Breeze with Lee and Amanda Borden. We'd love to hear from you. You can call the farm at 334-625-8682. Send email to letters at longleafbreeze.com. Our address is P.O. Box 780-446, Tallahassee, Alabama 36078. Visit us at longleafbreeze.com to learn more about the farm, to browse our archive, and to look over our planting database. You can also read the Daily Farm Log, check in with Lee and Amanda, and talk with other listeners. That's longleafbreeze.com.
Thanks for listening. See you next week.